My name is Ayumi. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Hello, my magical friends. I hope you're having a great week so far. Whether this is your first time through to your final time, I hope you enjoy this episode of Sparkle Side Chats. I've been really looking forward to sharing this particular episode with everyone. So first off, if you haven't already noticed, this episode is very long. It's also the first ever explicit episode. This is on me. I simply forgot to mention to my guest that I tend not to swear on here, and honestly, I think their colorful language is a lovely time. Because we've got a long chat to get through, I decided to skip talking about what I've been personally consuming in Magical Girl Media this week, so you can look forward to that next time. Since I didn't mention it before, I wanted to let you know again that I was a guest on Precure Podcast Engage. And that episode dropped last week. It was a lot of fun, and I really hope that you consider checking it out if you haven't already started listening to that podcast. It was a really fun time, and I hope that I can be a guest on there again in the future. We do have a little bit of news this week, so we are going to get into that right now. So this week was actually very big for Magical Girl fans. Whether it's positive or negative remains to be seen. So first, we have an announcement from Netflix in the form of a trailer for Fate The Wings Saga. So this is a live-action remake of the Wings Club series. For anyone unfamiliar with Wings Club, this is a Magical Girl series that started in the mid-2000s and has continued on up until the present day. This is an Italian Magical Girl series, but it also is very popular internationally speaking, especially in the Western side of the Magical Girl fan base. So I have personally seen both positive and negative reactions to this trailer on Twitter. So I have personally seen both negative and positive reactions to this trailer. Um, People are excited because they're seeing, uh, in general, magical girls in a real setting and so on. And that's always fun, just the same way that generally you might expect a certain level of excitement from any superhero series. So uh, the negative side... I've seen a little bit more of, I would like to say, and I think this comes especially from some uh, strong criticisms of some casting choices in the series and some apparent writing decisions as well. I guess there are a lot of people who are unhappy also aesthetically with the show and how it's definitely taking a visual note from shows like Riverdale or Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And yes, Sabrina is a magical girl. I don't have Netflix, so I don't know if I will be watching this series. 
However, I am interested to see how it plays out. Uh, in many ways, this reminds me a lot of the book series, The Daughters of the Moon, in terms of the aesthetic and so on. Maybe that one also is still a little bit more glittery. Basically, every book has a scene where the main character of that particular book has to go out to fight evil and takes a lot of time to apply makeup, especially glittery makeup and shiny makeup to look like a goddess, which is very fun. <laughs> we get into it in this episode a bit. I know that these kinds of uh, things like makeup and frills and so on are not for every magical girl, but it could be fun. I am looking forward to seeing what happens of this series, you know, both the actual show itself and the conversations that come from it. One thing I really enjoyed in the past few days since this announcement is seeing a lot of people come up with their own ideas of what a live action Winx should look like or just people giving their own twist to it and that's the kind of stuff I really love to see. There's just so much potential for creativity in these kinds of things. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, and again, I have seen people also excited for this series. So there are people that are going to be fans, I think, of other people that are happy. Of course, as pretty much everyone knows, Disney and its giant monopoly of so many different franchises released so many announcements this week. And uh, one that caught my eye in particular is uh, the one for Turning Red. So this is a Pixar announced feature film. I think it's going to be coming out in two years. This one is being headed by... Um, I think her name is uh, Domi Shi. She was the director of the short film Bao that was put in front of Incredibles 2. And that is a pretty iconic short. So I'm really excited to see how a feature film under her direction will be. The art style is very cute for the poster. And the reason I'm mentioning it is it's about a girl who turns into a red panda. I'm very intrigued to see how this turns out. Um, excited for this direction also for Pixar to have this director. I don't know yet if this is going to qualify as a Magical Girl series, but based on what we know so far, it feels like it has the potential. So I just wanted to put that out there. But yes, the other news. So as of this recording, this pretty much had just happened, but it looks like there is a Japanese merchandise pre-order service that has released some merchandise that is specific to next year's Precure team. All the information is out, so I will say the name. It is Tropical Rouge Precure or Tropical Rouge Precure. I am not going to talk about the leaks themselves until, you know, the information is made official through like toy animation sources and so on but I will put links to the pages to the merchandise in the show notes so you can see for yourself I will get to talk about it in the future as always this podcast is really not for my opinion so much as it is for highlighting other people's opinions but I do have thoughts about this team but I was definitely very surprised I'm not sure what I expected but this wasn't exactly it that being said, the characters are very cute, so that's something to look forward to. Also, I thought it's worth mentioning that a lot of these things are very fashion-based merchandise, 
So rather than like say revealing the transformation item merchandise or something like that, it's all either purses or makeup things. So there's a makeup set, there's lip gloss and lipstick and Yes, I will consider getting Precure lip gloss or lipstick. I am not above that. And uh, there's also nail polish. So I think that the way these things are packaged is very curious. can definitely give a lot of insight into how these characters are going to be. It's very clear who the main character is going to be and so on. If you want to let me know what you think of the new team, feel free to, you know, get in contact with the podcast. But yeah, that's about it for news. So let's get into today's main chat. So a few months ago, I was listening to the Dark Weeb podcast, which is very good and the only thing I support with the word weeb in it, if that's saying anything. And I was listening to this amazing episode with Shireen Lani Yunus, who is also a podcaster and creator of their own merit. They talked about their experience with Sailor Moon, and I was so intrigued by their story. I decided to shoot my shot when I got their attention and asked them to please be on Sparkleside and... When they said yes, I basically died. (laughs) I still can't believe this happened even now. So this is our first episode on Sailor Moon ever, and as always, I am looking to take mega series one season at a time. But I was very excited when Shireen specified that they wanted to talk about Sailor Stars. This episode is huge for a lot of reasons, but in particular, this is the first time that I was able to completely watch a new-to-me series before discussing it on the podcast. I do think it makes a huge difference, and this is part of why I'm trying to always watch as much as possible moving forward. And I wouldn't have been able to if it wasn't due to Shireen's kindness. So when we first scheduled the recording, I was actually having difficulty watching the series because even though I usually have no problem going to the video rental shop, someone else was watching Sailor Stars at the same time, and so I had to wait for it to get returned, and then I could watch it. In the day before our initially scheduled recording date, I had told her I wouldn't be able to finish, and she offered to reschedule so I'd have more time. And I'm infinitely glad she did. The ending is just such important context to have here. I cannot believe this is something that happens still. (laughs) I don't want to gush forever, but I do want to gush forever. One of the reasons why this episode is so long is because we ended up talking for two and a half hours. I know, I can't believe it either. As you can imagine, it made it very hard to cut down the episode. Every part of the conversation felt important. I would like to release the full version someday for people willing to listen to over two and a half hours of conversation about Sailor Stars. Perhaps it'll be bonus content whenever I end up using Patreon or Coffee Gold or something like that. I'm not sure. So if that's something you'd be interested in, please let me know so I can figure out how to put it in the release schedule and so on. But yeah, it's a lot. Also, another thing, so this recording, I mean, I think it went generally okay, but I think this was the first time that I used my new headphones as a microphone. So there's a lot of hearing me breathe in this, just because I wasn't listening back or anything. And also, I couldn't get my backup to work on my end. So Shireen sounds fine because they're perfect, but 
I sound kind of on and off, like not great. <laughs> so I apologize for that. As always, I think that there's going to be a continued improvement in quality as I continue to learn how the hell to do this. But yeah, it was just like, wow, I can't believe that I'm talking to Sri Lani Yunus and I know I listen to her podcast. She's also often a guest on other podcasts that I like. I'm so happy and I appreciate that she was on the podcast so much. I think that there were a lot of things that were very surprising about this episode. I think the main thing being being asked questions back is not something I'm used to. So I try to keep it one-sided. But yeah, you know, when the awesome guests like this ask you questions, you got to answer them, right? And most of those I cut out, but yeah, we'll see. So again, for people who don't really know about this series, um, I know there are some listeners out there who aren't familiar. 1992 was the debut of Sailor Moon, but today we're going to be talking about the final season of Sailor Moon, Sailor Stars, which came out in 1996. So basically, I think all you really need to know at the start of this episode is that Sailor Moon is a series about Usagi Tsukino, who at the beginning of the show is a second year in junior high school, but by this season is now a first year in high school. And uh, she is a sailor soldier or sailor scout, depending on where you hear. We also use the term sailor senshi. Don't worry about it. Uh, it's all the same. And she has a whole cast of friends who also fight with her. Some other context that's important for this season is that over time we do get to meet everyone, but they're not always there. And even in this season, they're always there. I think more famously, she also has a daughter from the future who appears in other seasons and she also has tuxedo mask also known as Mamoru and I do want to say for fans of Mamoru I'm very sorry for this episode we do kind of dig on him a little bit or a lot of it yeah I think that's it thank you for listening and I hope that you enjoy this kind of filthy episode about sailor stars Today we are here to talk about Sailor Stars, the final season of Sailor Moon. So today I have a very exciting guest. I mean, I'm very excited, at least. Uh, <laughs> so can you please introduce yourself? What is your name and what are your pronouns? Uh, my name is Shireen. My uh, full name is Shireen Lani Yunus. And um, I'm okay with any pronouns. The pronoun she is in my name, so you can go <laughs> She, her is fine, <laughs> but I am queer and I don't mind any pronouns. Cool, cool. And I also have a podcast called Ethnically Ambiguous, where me and my co-host, who's Iranian-American and I'm Syrian-American, we talk to people of color and immigrants and children of immigrants about their experience and their life. And we also talk about world news. But other than that, my main thing is filmmaking and art and poetry and trying my best to make things that my child self would appreciate. Hmm. Okay, great. And yeah, I guess we're going to be getting into your childhood a bit, talking about Sailor Stars. So before we start talking about your experience with it, we need to 
talk about what it is in the first place. So for anyone who hasn't watched Sailor Moon or Bishoujo Senshi Sailor Moon, there are five story arcs in the animated series. So we are talking about the final season in this uh, podcast, which is kind of going a little bit backwards because this is the first Sailor Moon focused episode, but I think it's fine. I requested this season when you asked me to talk about Sailor Moon. And that's mm-hmm. because I'm most familiar with this season. Even though I've watched all of Sailor Moon multiple times, especially as a kid, Sailor Star is, is one that I really fell in love with and is by far my favorite season. My second favorite season is probably Sailor Moon S because that's when the Outer Senshi are introduced and I'm obsessed with Haruka. Mm-hmm. And just the Outer Senshi theme is like one of the most iconic pieces of music out there. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so good. <laughs> So basically, we've talked about Sailor Moon on and off on other episodes, especially like, for example, interviewing creators of Magical Girl series, like webcomics and so on. There are a lot of people influenced by Sailor Moon. And so we usually end up talking about it at least a little bit with people's own histories with Magical Girls, because for Mm -hmm. many people around the world, it was their first. And I think for many listeners of the podcast as well, it It's something they're familiar with, but because of the nature of Sailor Stars, I think a lot of people didn't get the chance to watch it at all, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's another factor. I hope that the listeners of your podcast also have seen it, and if they haven't seen it, I hope the discussion that we're going to have is, like, enlightening. But maybe it was also the fact that it was kind of hard to get or something that made it even more special to me as a kid, Sailor Moon in general was the first magical girl anime that I saw as well. So Sailor Moon in general has a really special place in my heart. And the first season is very special too. But if I had to rank them, the first season might be like the third best in my opinion. (laughs) That's fair. I mean, from my experience, I just watched Sailor Stars just before us recording. It's something that I had always wanted to watch, but never got around to watching. I think that Especially because as I am someone who never stopped watching Magical Girl shows, especially from Japan, but honestly, even Western shows as well, I just always felt like, well, of course, I love Sailor Moon and it's a special place in my heart, but Magical Girls have kind of moved on since then. Right. Not to say that I moved on from Sailor Moon, but it was like, it's a stepping stone and it's a part of my childhood, but I hadn't really felt so passionate about it in a long time. Mm-hmm. I think I noticed by the time uh, Sailor Moon Crystal reboot series started where I was kind of excited, but not really. And I didn't really know what to make of that because I used to be the Sailor Moon expert in like all my friend groups and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I was excited when I heard about it and I attempted to watch it, but maybe this is so annoying to say, but it just wasn't the same. And I 100% prefer the original in every way. I don't really think it should have been remade when I really think about it. I think, I don't know. It's just not Mm. for me. I feel like Sailor Moon is the main magical girl anime that I was obsessed with. Me and my sisters especially were very much obsessed with Sailor Moon. And it did launch us into other magical girl animes. I think growing up, we were just really nerdy. And we played a lot of video games. Mm -hmm. They're all mostly from Japan, like Final Fantasy and Zelda. And so I feel like we found manga and anime pretty naturally that way and so we started reading a lot of manga and uh, I feel like we found Sailor Moon 
like organically I, I wish I could remember the first time I watched it but I really can't and I was trying my best to like try to pick my brain <laughs> at, at some point in the states it was showing on Cartoon Network like in the, on yeah. Saturdays and I feel like I must have seen it there pretty quickly we were seeking out subbed versions because we I don't know we were always kind of just like we, we loved the Japanese language and we just preferred it being subbed especially when I when I was able to read subtitles faster than I was in elementary school we were like subtitle loyalists and just like would never watch anything that was mm-hmm. dubbed <laughs> but there was that moment I feel like I was in sixth grade and I was still watching it dubbed where Haruka and Michiru are like portrayed as cousins and I think that was like the nail in the coffin that I was like yeah I'm not watching this in English anymore this is bullshit I feel like Sailor Moon and Sailor Stars, even though it did introduce me to other Magical Girl animes, like I remember like the classics, like Cardcaptor Sakura and like Clamp and all of those, like at the time, they were like really big. And I feel like I was really Mm -hmm. into those as well. Mm. But or like Magic Knight Ray Earth, I guess it's like kind of like a Magical Girl, but it's more like, I don't know. like Yeah, it's it's also uh, considered a Magical Girl series. Mm hmm. Yeah, but nothing ever eclipsed uh, or eclipsed Sailor Moon for me, Sailor Moon stars especially. And I, mm. I don't know why. It was always like literally my sisters and I all have matching Sailor Moon tattoos, and there's like an homage oh. to stars in there because we have like there's like a star seed in the tattoo. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, the love goes deep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just for any uh, listeners who have not watched Sailor Stars and might not know why they didn't get a chance to watch it when they were younger. <laughs> yeah, so Sailor Stars being the final arc, it's very different for a multitude of reasons. It's also, I think, the shortest season mm-hmm. and still also has an extra filler arc at the beginning, which is interesting, just in case you're a complete beginner to Sailor Moon. So Sailor Moon, the main character, is a protector of Earth and the moon, our moon. And all the other Sailor Scouts represent different planets in our solar system. And at the time, it was believed that we had nine planets. So there were nine Sailor Scouts or Sailor Soldiers or Sailor Senshi, whichever word you want to use. But in the Sailor Stars arc, we have a 10th planet called Kimokse. From this planet, we have three new Sailor Soldiers, the Sailor Starlights, and they have come to Earth in disguise as a boy idol group called the Three Lights. And I guess this is the beginning of why most places didn't deal with this season at all. Because as you said, Shireen, Haruka and Michiru, who were called, I think their dub names were Amara and Michelle, or Sailor Uranus and Sailor Neptune. They were called cousins rather than lovers, as they were actually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize. Wait, in the manga, do they specify that it's the 10th planet? Yes. It's supposed to be from the same solar system. Yeah. I don't know if it's in the comic specifically, because I didn't actually read it. But I know that it's supposed to be from the same galaxy, because everything is about our galaxy. Right. I just, I always assumed they were from a different galaxy for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> Maybe I just like made that up in my brain, but I, I didn't realize that was like the name of that or the, the 10th planet. That's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I, I, even I'm learning something and I'm a super fan. <laughs> so yeah, so the main reason why a lot of countries didn't even bother to tackle the actual dub of Sailor Stars in their respective countries is because of this group, especially because we have now 
This is interesting. Shireen, have you read the Sailor Moon comic as well as watched the series? I have, and I know that I don't want to like reveal what you're what you're going to say, but Starlight's <laughs> remained women in the manga, and in the anime, there's like a gender swap that goes on, and mm-hmm. Naoko Takeuchi really disliked this. Mm-hmm. She was like not a fan of the gender swapping. And I can appreciate that because I think also watching it this time around, I picked up on like a few slightly borderline like homophobic remarks, even in the Japanese dub, like, oh, like she's not that way or something like that. It's interesting because in the manga, Usagi and like mostly everybody reads as like bi at the very least. (laughs) Like it, it is so queer, in my opinion, like like a power queer story despite mm-hmm. the fact that she ends up with a man yeah but like she kisses haruka she kisses Saya. like it's like all of this stuff where it's like in my opinion she reads as very bi when you read the comics yeah i feel like they all do they all read as like kind of on the spectrum of of sexuality so i understand why niako takeuchi was like a little bit annoyed that the anime decided to do the gender swapping but mm-hmm. i think it made it really interesting and i hope that she was happy with how it turned out because it almost makes them not knowing their true identities more believable <laughs> because like they can't mm-hmm. possibly like we've seen them shirtless they don't have boobs <laughs> like you know like mm-hmm. but yeah I understand it's unfortunate that a lot of other countries didn't tackle the season for that reason just because like why can't it just exist you know we yeah. you don't have to really go into it and yeah, it's really interesting, I think. Yeah, I, I still think the romance would have been just as tragic if Saya did stay a woman, if she was just, if Sailor Starfighter was a woman throughout the anime as well, I still think it would have been just as tragic because there's also chemistry between her and Haruka that's very much real, in my opinion. Mm-hmm, and like, mm-hmm. there's chemistry between Haruka and like the majority of the senshi, so it's like, yeah. But I don't know, maybe because Usagi is with Mamoru and like kind of reads as straight in the anime for the most part. I think Seiya being a man in the anime mm-hmm. made that romance a little bit more believable perhaps or like mm-hmm. um, more tragic when it's obviously not going to work out. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I also read that Nyako Takeuchi when she was coming up with the character of Seiya, it's a cross between Mamoru and Haruka. So, like, that was, like, her blueprint of that character, which I think is very fascinating to me. Yeah, it's interesting, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, so, basically, the main difference, for anyone watching the series, they'll see that the Sailor Starlights are men, and they're cis men. Yeah, they're male presenting. Yeah, definitely. And then, when they transform, their bodies also physically transform. And so, it's a very interesting take, I think. Yeah, like you said, so Naoko Takeuchi, she was not happy with this, but she was also very explicit in saying that for her in creating Sailor Moon, she said all of the Sailor soldiers, well, she said they were all female, by which she means like cis women, like having a uterus and so on. But also with Haruka, she also said that Haruka has, now this is a little bit of a translation thing. So people translate it often as having the heart of a man and a woman. But in Japanese, heart is used for both the heart and mind. Mm. 
I don't know what she means, basically, because there isn't that split in Japanese. But yeah, so it's like, especially with these queer characters, and something we can get into in a little bit as well. The gendering of the characters in Sailor Moon is very, very interesting in terms of their own presentation, especially. Before we get into that, so Shireen, you started to talk about it a little bit, but yeah. what is your history exactly with Sailor yeah. Moon? Sorry, I've been jumping ahead of you a little bit. I just no, no, so no, it's excited. fine. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> yeah, as I mentioned, uh, I was pretty nerdy growing up. A lot of video games, a lot of obsession with like Japanese culture. And my first concert, for example, was a J-Rock concert. Like I was very much hmm. like it was during Grey, and I was obsessed with Miyavi, and I was obsessed with all of stuff. <laughs> but I found anime, magical girl anime. I mean, like yeah, it was Sailor Moon, and I. I don't even I don't think that's true. I feel like I knew about Sailor Moon before it was on Cartoon Network because we were so into Japanese content mm-hmm. and like video games and all of that. So we started watching it and again like trying to source the sub as much as we could. There are so many iterations of Sailor Moon that I guess as far as games go, there were all these like PC games that I remember being so obsessed with. There was like an RPG game mm-hmm. that was so fun. There was a fighting game that was really fun. But I was very, very obsessed with it. And I think there's, in Arab and Middle Eastern culture, like astrology is valued in a little bit of a different way. It's kind of more spiritual, I feel Mm -hmm. like, for whatever reason. So when I first started watching Sailor Moon, before I watched the whole thing, I really connected with Sailor Mars and Rey because I'm an Aries. And I was really related to her like bad temper and being a hothead. And I had really long, dark hair at the time. (laughs) So I was like, she was my favorite by far. I was so obsessed with her. And I just liked that she was just like a strong person. And so my obsession with like astrology and like being an Aries and also my obsession with like mythology and space and the planets and like mythology is like Greek and Roman and Japanese and Arab mythology. I was, I was obsessed with all of that. And I was also obsessed with sci-fi and space. So I feel like Sailor Moon ticked so many boxes for me. It was this culmination of everything I really loved Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it was just really good and I appreciated so much about it in retrospect I think it was really formative to see something that was all these strong women like led by women I think magical girl anime is so beautiful for little girls to watch because it's so empowering I feel like I figured that out looking back. Like at the time, I probably was too young to figure that out, like why I loved it so much. (laughs) Sure, sure. I guess that's like the history behind it. And then we obviously watched the whole thing, all the movies and all of that. And then Sailor Moon S is like phenomenal. I feel like out of all the seasons, the story of Sailor Moon S might be the best Hmm. because it introduces these other planets, which is like this like exciting development and I personally think Sailor Moon's outfit is so much better than it is in stars I I hate Eternal Sailor Moon <laughs> Eternal Sailor Moon is definitely interesting it definitely gets uh mixed reviews I think yeah, yeah. it's the sleeves I think it's the, the sleeves, main thing the little thing on the top <laughs> the skirt like the little circle shoulder things and the, the layered skirt like I was just not into it I think Super S her Super S transformation is maybe the prettiest. So I prefer mm-hmm. that iteration of her outfit. My least favorite thing about stars might be Sailor Moon's outfit, just because like 
the wings are a little over the top and like all this other stuff. I don't know. Regardless, sorry. Now I'm going on a tangent again. No, it's fine. <laughs> but I do think like my obsession with like the planets and space and all of this stuff, Finding Sailor Moon was like this perfect story for me because I was already obsessed with all of those things. And then seeing these strong women as like iterations of like Juno or Aries or Venus I was just already so into that when we found Sailor Moon Stars that really had a special place in my heart because again like it wasn't available in the U.S. and so we had to order these subbed VHS cassettes at the time because DVDs were still like not really readily available and there were nine of them because that's how many like the episodes filled out for each cassette tape Mm -hmm. and we purchased them I remember for like I think it was either on eBay or like some fan online had made them and like was like that was like her side hustle because it wasn't like an official source it wasn't like these were made in like in Japan Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was like some fan yeah I mean generally if I go to like a resale store like Mandarake or something they still sell like VHS tapes of old stuff like that but it's still like really expensive, really hard to get. I'm trying to imagine. Yeah, there's no way that it would have been from Japan, especially an English sub release like that. I no, think. it wasn't. It was a fan that had put it together. And we had searched so hard for like some type of subbed way to see stars because we wanted to see how Sailor Moon ended in the anime. Like we, we were kind of doing this thing where I preferred the anime to the manga just for some reason. I think I thought it was just more exciting at the time. And I knew about Sailor Stars. I read some of it, but I really wanted to see the anime more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we finally found some fan either in the States or like some Western country where they spoke English. Mm. And she made these cassettes and she like put a sticker on them and everything like with this cursive like writing with like each cassette tape it was just I don't know I still remember how excited I was when the tapes came in after like weeks of waiting and Mm -hmm. we watched them so so fast I feel like that must have been the first time I ever like binged watched a show (laughs) we were just like sat in this room that had the tv and just like one cassette after the other it was like me and my older sister just like watched the whole thing so fast Hmm. but yeah that's kind of where the obsession started and I guess like I was trying to think why Sailor Moon Stars had such an impact on me or like why I like it so much other than Sailor Moon S, which I think is like a close second in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I I think I'm just a sucker for like unrequited love and like a doomed romance oh and like God. the sadness <laughs> and the tragedy that comes with that. I think mm-hmm. I'm just a huge sucker for that kind of story. Yeah. And I was never a big Mamoru fan. I was never a fan of Tuxedo Mask. I thought he was a huge dork. Like I... <laughs> And I know people are going to be like, but he was different in the manga. And like, yeah, he was. He had more personality in the manga, but I still could never really get behind him. I thought he was like baseline boring. Mm -hmm. And I just hated it. He just like, who wears that? Like, I don't, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So while I can attest that he is better in the manga, I was just never a big fan of him. Mm -hmm. So with the introduction of Seiya as this objectively better option for her, in my opinion. (laughs) Mm-hmm. That was probably the main reason why Sailor Moon Stars is my favorite Sailor Moon season. Because if it wasn't for that element, if it wasn't for this triangular romance, mm-hmm. 
I think Sailor Moon S would be my favorite. But because of Seiya, like that character, Sailor Starfighter, it eclipses any season for me because that character is iconic in every way, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. I was thinking about, you know, after watching the full series, thinking about what different aspects make it so unique as a season. And uh, of course, all the characters are there, plus the Sailor Starlights. The first uh, six episodes, I think, are a filler arc with uh, Nehalenia, who was the... Mm-hmm villain of the season previous to this uh, supers but it's very interesting to have watched that after not watching any sailor moon for a long time and then suddenly after that they just kind of don't even explain like they just say that chibusa has left sailor moon's daughter and i just like oh she's gone already yeah yeah there are many plot holes to the last season i won't deny that it is not perfect Yeah, but I think that the main thing that I found very fascinating was that, you know, you have... So Mamoru has existed in the series from the beginning, though the first season was a very rocky relationship between him and Usagi. But, you know, he has been there the whole time. And uh, Chibu Usa, who is uh, Usagi's daughter from the future, came to the present from the start of the second season. So she's been there for three seasons. And then suddenly Usagi doesn't have either. And she's starting high school and she's like kind of just hanging out with her friends. Also, Naru has disappeared, I noticed. Yeah, I noticed that too. And her little brother disappeared like a long time ago. Yeah. You don't understand the deep dive that I had to go on watching it this time <laughs> being like, like I'm positive Sailor Moon had a brother. Did. I searched for so long, like what happened to whatever his name was. I forget his name. But that's the whole point. Like, I have no idea. Like, they never explain it in the anime. He just disappears. Mm-hmm. Not even just in stars. Like, he disappears way before. And yeah. they never explain it. It is so bizarre. And Naru hasn't been around for a while, I think, either. Yeah. Like, I don't think he has existed for a while as well. But the little brother is significant because in this season, you're introduced to Chibi Chibi, who her mom says is her sister. And so with the lack of brother, it's like, I don't know. It was just kind of... Yeah. Sailor Moon is not a perfect plot. Like, like there are many <laughs> plot holes in Sailor Moon. Mm. It definitely is so different than the other animes because for the first time, despite being surrounded by so many people, Usagi is pretty isolated. Yeah. And I feel like she does so much growing in this season, mm-hmm. like, as a character. And... I really appreciated that to see her like kind of become angsty. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, she got very angsty at the end there. It was very interesting. Yeah. And it's very interesting that it's like so we don't find out until near the end of the season, so I'm not going to explain why, but Mamoru disappears because he's going off to study abroad in the States and he doesn't contact her ever again after that. We find out why later, but She's obviously very devastated by this. And I mean, I think that in general, especially as I got older, when it comes to Mamoru, I have like mixed feelings because at the start of Sailor Moon, he's in college and she's in junior high school. Yeah. And so it's already a weird thing. And I mean, that's something that's like, I think people have talked about forever. So I don't really need to get into it in detail. Most people would acknowledge, yeah, this wasn't exactly right at the time, but I feel like it's been acknowledged that it's weird. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like we condone it at best. It's Mm -hmm. definitely problematic in retrospect. Like, even in the last season, she's 16 and he's probably, I don't know, he's going abroad. 
he must be like 19 or something at the very least or no but he's in college when she meets him yeah if we're lenient with this Mm -hmm. if she's like 14 when this starts and he's in college the youngest he could be is 18 so it's like yeah 18 19 like it is that is so problematic i cannot even get into it (laughs) for whatever reason i feel like sailor moon gets this pass especially because like when you're watching it, I feel like I have to remind myself, even in the early seasons, that she's 14. Because they all look like women, body-wise, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like I have to remind myself constantly that she's a preteen. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. That's mostly a stylistic thing, of course. Because, um, I mean, Naoko Takeuchi is very highly inspired by fashion. And you see that in a lot of the additional outfits. And, like, the Princess Serenity dress is mm-hmm. based on an actual piece of fashion. I can't remember what the actual dress is from, but whatever. <laughs> but I think that her style, especially, like, when you study fashion design, her body type that she draws is very much... It just looks like the fashion uh, croaky. Yeah. Yeah, just like extremely tall, the longest legs possible, and <laughs> yeah. so on. So very model esque. Yeah, like they all yeah. look like fashion, like just like sketches for a fashion show. Exactly. I could understand. No, whatever. I I don't really. I I can never be a Mamoru fan. <laughs> I can understand that he's better in the manga. He's had more mm-hmm. personality. Despite of that, like there are so many like arcs where he's just like kind of annoying. Like I just get bothered by him i think the iteration i must like the most is probably like when he like is like a prince like or like prince what's like prince Prince uh, endymion yeah prince endymion like i think that's maybe my favorite iteration of him because he just looks so much better than his stupid top hat tux (laughs) but no i think sailor stars offers us like a different kind of chemistry that I never really saw Usagi have with Mamoru. Mm. Maybe I'm just being biased, but like... No, that's, I, I mean, it's your opinion, it's fair. It's very interesting because I've been thinking about, like, in terms of, like, a tuxedo mask, I'm trying to think of, like, I don't know anything about him, really. And even now, like, we're talking about, like, we don't know what he would be doing in the States exactly. Like... He has no personality! Yeah, we don't know anything. And I mean, I think it's intentional in a way because I think about like how, for example, like even just action movies or whatever, like male driven movies and fiction and so on. A lot of times the female love interest, we don't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the opposite, I guess. I guess. I mean, I understand that. It's just like I, I think he just would have been a more a better character if he just had something to offer. Like. He does make fun of her in the beginning. He has like a mean sense of humor, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the minute they fall in love, he just becomes the sap. He's just there to be loved mm-hmm. by her. Yeah. And that is an interesting correlation to make, though, because I hadn't thought of it that way. Just how empty the reverse would be for a female character. Because you're completely right. I think a lot of female characters act as like this empty foil for, for male leads so much mm-hmm. of the time. So that's a really interesting parallel. I haven't, I'd never thought of it that way. Yeah. Because it, it's presented as this like tragic Romeo and Juliet story in the very beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's the Prince of Earth and the Prince of the Moon, like they got together and then the tragedy struck and whatever. So mm-hmm. it's presented as this like tragic Romeo and Juliet thing that they're like bound together for life. But right. she just has so much personality and he doesn't. And maybe that's why they work. You know what? Maybe that's why. <laughs> maybe because she's so like energetic and personality driven like mm-hmm. he has to be flat you know yeah it could be 
Yeah, it, it is interesting. There are so many possible explanations, I suppose. I think I read recently about, but I'm not sure exactly, like where I think Naoko Takeuchi did say something about the kind of man she wanted to write for Mamoru. And it's, hmm, I don't know. It's very interesting to see, like, he, what's the word? He's not supposed to be super interesting, but I think that it's almost like in romance novels, I guess. It's like, there usually isn't a huge amount of personality with the men yeah. exactly, you know. <laughs> I respect her decision to make the story about the female characters. Like, I respect that. And I respect her intentional decision to not make him mm-hmm. too, uh, um, I don't know, like, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but I think because of that, the romance presented in stars hits really hard because you're just like, yeah why like like this is so much better like if Mamoru was someone that was universally liked or like rooted for um and I know a lot of people that really do like him as a character I know a lot of people that like every time I say that I don't like him they're like well the manga was better or something (laughs) I understand that he's not completely universally seen as boring Mm -hmm. but I think because of the intentional way that he's kind of toned down in comparison to Usagi or any other character. I I think all the characters are far more layered than him, which I also like because I like that as the sole male character for the majority of the show, Mm -hmm. he's kind of like irrelevant. I really, really respect that. Yeah. Well, yeah, he gets kidnapped a lot, I noticed. He's definitely like a damsel in distress in a way, which is another interesting parallel. He gets kidnapped a lot. He gets yeah. brainwashed every other fucking season. Like, <laughs> it's either kidnapping, brainwashing, or some type of, yeah, you're right. He's a damsel in distress. You're completely right. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, some people want that. It's fine. It's like an interesting kind of reversal of roles and so on. But um, we've been talking about Seiya, but we haven't actually explained who Seiya oh, is. sorry. No, no, no. no. Not not everyone has watched the season. That's okay. Um, Yeah, so we had mentioned the Sailor Starlights and the three lights. So we have the three soldiers. And so there's Sailor Starfighter, Seiya Ko, in his human form. Then Sailor Star Healer, who is Yaten. And then Sailor Star Maker, who is Taiki. They're all very interesting, distinct characters. And as we mentioned before, you know, they are male characters in their human form and then transform into female characters and yeah when doing research i had pointed out to you Serene, the hilarity of the italian <laughs> dub <laughs> of sailor stars taking this and instead of explaining like just you know i mean they're already aliens it's like really whatever if they change yeah. gender but they decided to go with the idea that the three lights are three different characters separate from the sailor starlights who are their twin sisters that they call upon when they need to transform so they like get possessed essentially. It is it's so yeah. bizarre. It's so bizarre. And right before <laughs> we started this, you sent me the video that you found of the Italian dub. And it's just mm-hmm. and even their voice actors are different. Like the voice yeah. actors are very manly for the three lights, and then they're very feminine for the starlights. Yeah. I also think it just goes to show how versatile a lot of Japanese seiyus are. Like I so many men are voiced by women or like women oh, yeah. people in in anime that you don't even think twice about it. We can get into this further on, but Shiho Niyama, and I'm sorry if I'm saying her name completely wrong, but the voice of Seiya is 
one of the most iconic voices in my opinion she died way Mm -hmm. too young i'm so devastated by how short a life she lived but like alongside her and like haruka's voice like megumi ogata like there are some iconic seiyus out there that have the most sexy fucking voices that have played (laughs) so many different genders and i think it just goes to show Mm. how it's okay to be ambiguous in japan like it's i i really it's interesting that the Italian devs decided to do that, and then hearing it was so jarring. <laughs> it's so distinct, the different voices. But it, yeah, regardless, I think there are so many reasons I like Seiya and Sailor Starfighter, but her mm-hmm. voice is one of the main reasons, I think. It's, it's just so uh, just devastatingly beautiful. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. And like you said, you know, Seiya is kind of this composite of Mamoru and Haruka, which I think is pretty clear right away because, well, for one thing, like as soon as Usagi and Seiya first meet, they have the same dynamic that Usagi had with Mamoru in the first season of Sailor Moon, you know, like yeah. just teasing each other all the time. And he has a different he name immediately for her. starts calling her, yeah, Dango and everything. And it's very interesting. And the only people <laughs> that call her by any kind of like pet names are Haruka and Mamoru, even in the manga. Like they yeah. call her different iterations of Odango, but like the only people that call her that are those three characters. So, mm-hmm. and I also read that Sailor Starfighter slash Seiya was modeled after Jenny Shimizu, who is mm-hmm. so fucking hot. <laughs> but like when I read that I was like yeah that that, that makes sense like she's meant to mm-hmm. be this like ambiguous mm-hmm. stunningly like gorgeous female person and in the yeah. manga anyway and I think the more I think about it like even though I really respect Nyaku Takeuchi's wishes to make them female I think for anime watchers to really feel the tragedy of the unrequited love I think because he meets her as a man and has that direct parallel to the same way that she met Mamoru, I think, I mean, it shouldn't have to be that way, but she is presented mm-hmm. as straight, right, in the anime. And so I think yeah. it makes the romance just a little bit more believable for anime watchers, like that she did swap genders when she was Seiya kind of thing. But mm-hmm. that's just my opinion. The more I thought about it, the more I kind of keep landing on that conclusion yeah, it's a different presentation. I mean, I don't know exactly why they went with that decision, right? Because Sailor Moon's a very interesting piece of media in that the comic and the animation were happening at the same time. And that's why there were so many fillers for the animation and like entire filler stories and everything. Yeah. They had to keep kind of producing at the same time. And poor Takuchi is like drawing this comic every month <laughs> and, and so on. Like the fact that she's coasting now is like so great. But She's actually working very directly with the creation of Crystal. I read which that, is why, yeah. yeah, it's more uh, closely tied to the comic and everything. So we'll see, you know, uh, the Eternal movie is coming out, or movies are coming out next year in January and in February. So after that, I think we'll be getting the uh, Sailor Stars or the Starlight arc probably in yeah. the crystal uh, reboot so we'll see how that gets handled it'll be very interesting the fact that sailor starfighter will have the same voice is like tragic to me though mm-hmm. oh, it's just so beautiful and like i don't know if they're doing solo songs like they used to like i feel like a lot of animes back in the day 
had these like albums of just like say you songs of each character oh that's and, like, definitely still a thing now don't worry oh is it okay well oh, yeah the one for Sailor Starfighter slash Seiya is fucking tragic to me. I love it so much. I listen to it just for fun. And it's so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's another reason why I like Sailor Stars a lot. I think the music fucking slaps. It is so good. <laughs> it is very good music. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like from the theme song, like the opening song to like the Starlight Transformation theme is so, mm-hmm. so catchy. It's so, so good. Mm-hmm one of the three light songs that they play like when they're on stage is called uh, my friend's love or like totokana uh, omoi i think it's so good like i listen to that song all the time just for fun it's so good so that's another reason why i think stars is great but i don't mean maybe i should give crystal another chance only because the architect yuchi is like making it more manga like and mm-hmm. you can even see it in like the art style it is more it does look a little bit more like her drawings because it's kind of more like elongated and stuff yeah but i don't know maybe i should give it another shot i just couldn't get into it that's fair i think a lot of people were very uh surprised by the first season of crystal but there has been a lot of change and development over the progress of it i think there's so much of it to watch so it's interesting to kind of get a different retelling of Sailor Moon and I do think that they will be able to find I mean it definitely won't be the same voice but they would be able to find a good voice actress in this time gender in Japanese is very interesting and Serena I had sent you uh, a little while ago a video about the way that feminine Japanese is used in Sailor Moon Mm -hmm. and I think that it's particularly interesting with these characters like Seiya, uh, actually all the Starlights and also Haruka. So there are different first person pronouns in Japanese. So people use different ones depending on how they feel about themselves. It's usually the easiest way to kind of tell about how someone identifies. Well, most of the characters are using watashi or atashi, all the, most of the girls, which is the only character that doesn't use feminine Japanese is Haruka at first. Yeah. The sailor. So that's... Because, I mean, she's presented as a man for a, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's that as well. And so she, she uses boku, which is a very masculine first-person pronoun. Then if you look at the starlights, actually, I don't remember which one it is for Taiki. I know Yaten uses boku, but he's a little bit more boyish. And uh, Seiya uses ore, which is like the most masculine mm-hmm. first-person pronoun. And um, so it's very interesting. I don't know if it's just because I watched the animation, but when I think about the characters, I think of Seiya as being a man and then Sailor Starfighter as being a woman and like that not being a conflict, I guess. Yeah, I see it the same way. Yeah. I sometimes refer to Seiya as both he or she, just because like mm-hmm. I think her ultimate person is a she yeah i should say she presents as a woman i don't know the internal things there but there is like a moment near the end of this the series where Seiya does say like this is his last time being Seiya. so it's like implying mm-hmm. that he was only a man for his time on earth kind of thing yeah so i think because of that I always go back to Sailor Starfighter just like being a woman Mm -hmm. and they would never have become men if it wasn't for this like weird plan to become a boy band. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thinking about it in terms of yet the comic treatment of them as I would say like presenting as men on Earth, but having the same body Mm -hmm. type. I still think that 
it could be seen as like a trans narrative as well, which is very interesting. I agree. Yeah, I 100% agree. But I think because it's never explained, I really appreciate just the ambiguity there. Like I, because like I'm, as a queer person, I would love to just like simply exist and not have to like be in any kind of box. And I think that's why when you ask me what pronouns are, like I genuinely like any pronoun is fine. Like I just want to simply exist and like love whoever I want to love and not worry about how Mm -hmm. I present or how people perceive me. And that's so hard to do when labels are so prevalent now and I respect why they are because visibility is very important but I think that's also why I prefer this umbrella term of queer versus like bi or anything else or even non-binary just because I feel like it's the most ambiguous one that I can choose I think going back to the manga I like that there was that kind of gender ambiguity there where is the they have their same bodies but they cross-dress essentially Mm-hmm. And they're still perceived as these like incredibly desirable hot people. You know what I mean? Like, oh, definitely. <laughs> I I've always respected how much Japanese culture doesn't really. Maybe maybe I just disrespect Western culture for needing to toe that line, <laughs> and in doing so, I really respect how much Japanese culture doesn't need to like to explain why it does the things it does when it comes to gender ambiguity and I think that's also why like a lot of j-rock and even j-pop like their their outfits and everything they're very just like I don't know there's no definition of like what they have to present as if that makes sense and so mm-hmm. I think that's a huge reason why I really loved that as a, as a, as a preteen and a teenager hmm. that's interesting well I mean I think I have a different experience of it being Japanese like of course what how is presented in a lot of media is pretty great there's a lot of positive representation in media of stuff now especially uh, but even back then a little bit but for me I mean just like in everyday society mm-hmm. it's still a very 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 uh, cis heteronormative society here to be honest I am really curious about your experience with that because while it really empowered me I was able to like pick and choose what parts of the culture affected me right like it wasn't like I knew the whole story I was consuming what I was consuming and there was that privilege of being able to choose what what that was from the other side as I've said like it was I have this perception of it being so much more progressive than what I see as like a very regressive American like portrayal of that so I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I think that it's very complicated. There are, of course, progressive people and not progressive people. But right now, especially, we've been having some very right-wing people in government. And there's this constant fear of a return to Japanese imperialism here. Yeah. So, But in terms of, like, especially if we look at, like, for example, the fight for same-sex marriage here, it's been very difficult and I think one of the reasons is because marriage laws and like just marriage in Japan in general is still extremely sexist. Wow. You know, I got married here and my husband is Japanese, uh, a national, like born and raised here. I was born here as well, but I grew up in the US. So I am a Japanese citizen. So that part was like whatever. But in terms of marriage law, so people are still fighting for the right for women to keep their maiden name. Whoa. Yes, yeah, that's that's wild to me. Like, what? 
when I was getting married, my husband actually asked me if he could take my my last name, which is a very white last name from my father. And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't want this name anymore anyway. So it's fine. So I chose to become a Shinozaki. Like it definitely felt like my choice. But I know that my options were limited here compared to like if I had gotten married right. in the US. I mean, yeah, that's like yeah. a, it's very interesting to hear that because it's just unfortunate. It's so unfortunate that like there's so yeah, many things sucks. that seem like like something that everyone should be able to do <laughs> um, or something. Yeah. I don't know how else to word it. My vocabulary is so no, elementary, definitely. but like, oh my God, that's so unfortunate to hear. There are a few different words for husband in Japanese, but one of them is very close to the, the word for master. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> I know. First of all, I'm never going to recover from what you just said. Second of all, <laughs> I'm so sorry for, like, waxing on about how progressive Japanese culture is when I don't know how annoying it must be to have people pick and choose the good parts of Japanese culture or like but, it is complicated yeah. for sure yeah we can talk about it later just uh, in more detail but yeah it's okay like I understand and you know there are a lot of great things I'm very very grateful for Sailor Moon existing and being this thing for so many people yeah. you know but yeah it can be a little frustrating because there are a lot of good things about Japanese culture and Japanese pop culture in particular and there are a lot of bad things yeah. as well and not even all like the series that ever come out in japan ever make it across the sea mm -hmm. you know so it's just like it's all it's all very yeah complicated. it is very complicated for sure i wonder if there's an element of at least here japanese pop culture is presented as this more progressive thing maybe like creatively that's where everyone is like putting their outlet you know what i mean like maybe that's where frustrated people in Japan are being like this is my magical fantasy world where like mm -hmm. nothing is as strict as it is in real life or something I'm like I do apologize for waxing on about something I knew nothing about though no it's it's okay don't worry about it I'm kind of used to it <laughs> so we kind of talked about characters already that you like a lot let's talk about like I guess specific uh, episodes or things like that from this season that really stood up to you yeah I mentioned episodes i really really liked um 181 which was seiya and usagi's heart pounding date oh my god that yes. episode is so perfect and haruka makes an appearance too so bonus for that it's definitely mm -hmm. like on the surface a filler episode because not really anything like happens as far as story but it does make seiya and usagi's chemistry so clear and so when I was re-watching it this time, I was still really, like, invested. Like, and I, I remember my little queer heart pounding back in the day, too. Like, I was just like, I really love oh, that yeah. episode. And it makes the unrequited love even more heartbreaking to see them get along so well as just, like, friends and see mm -hmm. their humor together. And it's, I think it's really funny. I think Sailor Stars has some really good jokes in the season. And... I really appreciate it for that reason. Um, and at the end of the episode, yeah. you have the first hint of Seiya being like, is Usagi Sailor Moon? You know, so it's like, it's a great episode. I love that episode so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also loved the night alone together when she was, when he was her bodyguard, in quotes. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. 
But I think I just like any episode where there's like Seiya Yusagi basically like baiting. Mm-hmm. And then the reveal of all of them on the plane is really good when they all have to like transform in front of each other. I thought that was a great episode. Mm. And the iconic rooftop scene that makes oh, you yes. cry every time with with Seiya's line asking her if he's not good enough. That is... I remember so vividly watching that as a kid. And at the time, that was the hardest I'd ever cried in my life. Like, I... <laughs> I think tissue after tissue after tissue. I was so, so fucked up from that episode. Hmm. That's interesting that that line is, so it's translated as I'm not good enough. So, okay. Watching it this time, it was a different translation. But watching it when I, on Hulu, because I watched it on Hulu this time versus my own copy, um, because it was just easier to stream. But the translation was something like, can I take his place? Ah, that's a creative translation. That's not what he says at all. Well, how, wait, how, well, how did you turn, like, in Japanese, what does it sound like? Because I always thought it was, am I not good enough? I would say that's a closer translation. Of course, the translation is very difficult, right? It's mm-hmm. something, it's like, like, I'm starting to get into translation a little bit as a job, and it's so difficult. But yeah, so this rooftop scene, this is like near the very end of the series when Usagi's like really, really devastated about, you know, this whole time she hasn't heard from Mamoru and she just wants to know if he's okay. Like she feels so alone and mm-hmm. you know and Seiya's there to comfort her and so what he says, uh ore wa dame kana. And so, you know, dame means it's like saying no good, like something but something is just like Wait, am I no good for you? Essentially or Yeah, it's it's for me I would translate like as something like uh I guess I'm not good you know something like that like, yeah that's so interesting I mean yeah you're right translation is really hard uh there are so many nuances in language that you really can't get across all the time yeah so that's really interesting I was always so yeah. curious about that line translation especially after seeing a different translation in the Hulu one because I was like what like when I saw that I was <laughs> like wait what like, that's not because I, I was like waiting for that line the whole episode mm-hmm. yeah, and then yeah, I yeah. saw it and I was like no that's not what he said Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah well especially because i remember distinctly that he says kana and so you know ka is like a question right so if he just said uh ore wa dame ka i'd be like oh am i not good enough but he says not which means like right like mm-hmm. he's acknowledging that he is not good enough it's not yeah. it's like a rhetorical question but it still it broke me as well <laughs> it was like yeah. oh my god no it is tragic as fuck I don't fall for say is the right word, but like I just like saw him and you know say the starfighter is a much better option like for so many I'm reasons. I'm so glad you agree. I'm so <laughs> glad you agree. I was like I don't remember ever feeling this way about Mamoru and I like you know watched the original series like I definitely I enjoyed him. I can't remember why, but I did enjoy him <laughs> as a kid. I'm also queer, but I do like guys sometimes. Obviously, I I ended up marrying one. I'm trying to think about, like, why was it that I, I liked him so much? Because, like, I didn't ever like the way he interacted with Usagi in the first season of Sailor Moon, where mm-hmm. he was always, like, nagging her and stuff. And so I kind of expected to not like Seiya at the beginning, but it changed pretty quickly. And I just, like, can't... I don't know what it is, but it's just... Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, we haven't actually talked about the villains at all for this season for any typical episode. So Sailor Moon is very much a monster of the week, but this season is also very interesting. It's actually very similar to 
I feel like a lot of Pretty Cure seasons also have this kind of dynamic and I want to see yeah, a lot of Magical Girl series where the monster of the week is actually a human that has been defiled. It's not the right word, but like made impure. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the, you know, the hero has to purify them again. I realized this watching it this time, but Sailor Moon's power is essentially just like a healer. Yeah. If she was in a video game, she would be a healer that just like stands in the back and like waits until it's like she can heal the person, right? Like right. she's not exactly an attacker. Right. And I think that's why her power is so essential. And we see it even, I mean, the Starlights, their impulse is to kill the, the phage, the monster yeah. that they become. But Sailor Moon's able to heal them. And they're like, whoa, like, what is this power? Right. I think watching it this time, I realized, like, how unique Sailor Moon's power is in, in comparison to the rest of the Senshi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's kind of difficult i haven't really watched many hero-, hero series from before sailor moon but i know after sailor moon there have been plenty where yeah like i said various uh seasons of pretty Cure have this where this like a uh, monster that comes from the heart of a human somehow they have to get saved like healed mm-hmm. that way but it's very interesting to see there's that but it also makes for some really hilarious villains because each one <laughs> They use like their personality traits or like yeah. their occupation and they become yeah. like sailors, musician or like yeah, sailor uh, musician. I yeah. like sailor guts. Yeah, sailor guts. Yeah. yeah, most of them are very, very straightforward. You know, sailor musician, sailor, stewardess. Stewardess, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, this like weird monstrosity of an occupation or whatever. Uh, so it's it's very funny. The main villains themselves, so there's Sailor Galaxia, and then there's also the Sailor Anima Mates, mm-hmm. which uh, I thought were very, very interesting. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about them, but I liked all of them for different reasons. Yeah. And Nyanko, I didn't have any strong feelings towards, but she only showed up near the end, so I feel like I didn't get a good time to know her, you know? Yeah. My favorite was Lead Crow. That makes sense. She also, yeah. I had like serious queer vibes from her and yes. Aiden, for sure. Yeah, her and Siren uh, definitely. I read it as more of an unrequited thing, but like her ending is also really tragic to uh-huh. me. And I think the villains and stars might also be one of my favorite villains because they're, inter- they're, they're Sailor Senshi. Like they're essentially the same as the protagonists and Mm -hmm. the main villain herself it's sailor galaxia or whatever you know it's like Mm -hmm. i really thought that was so fascinating to see that like different senshi from all across the galaxy Mm -hmm. exist and not all of them are good well that's also i don't know how if we should get into like spoilers i know that it's more well explained i think it's better explained in the comic but i'm not sure I know that because the Sailor Anima mates weren't born as Senshi. They had to become Senshi by killing the actual Senshi of their planets. Wait, is that ever explained in the anime? Yeah. I don't think so. In the anime? No, I don't remember. But this is something like I've known for a long time. I don't know where I got this information. In the anime, there are so many references to Sailor Moon being like, they're just like us. They're just like us. Yeah, I know. So that's very interesting. I feel like I must have known that and completely forgot. I know for Sailor Galaxia is the only one who actually is, but she gave up her starseed to chaos and like became evil. But the other ones, yeah, they, in order to work for Galaxia, they had to like prove themselves. And so they took the starseed of the Sailor uh, Senshi from their planet. Wow. Okay. That is very different. Sailor Tenyanko is from the same planet as Luna and Artemis. 
Really? Yeah. I don't remember the name of the planet, but she killed their planet, Sailor Senshi. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I am so into this in so many ways. And I feel like Uh this is a fact that must have slipped my brain. But mm-hmm. I feel it's, it sounds, it's sounding more familiar the more I'm thinking about it. But like that origination of villain is so dark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is so good. Oh, that's so I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And there are more anime mates if you look at the musicals. But I'm trying to remember. We only see four in the series. So if Iron Mouse, Aluminum, uh, Siren or Satan, uh, Lead Crow and Tinyanko. Um, but mm-hmm. I think maybe in the comic also there's heavy metal papillon, which is like such a cool name. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. And then in the musicals there are two more, Sailor Pewter Fox and Titanium Kiroko. So that would be like oh. a frog. I mean oh. the whole expanded universe of the musicals is really interesting. I never got into the musicals, I won't lie. It was never something I gravitated towards. Well, actually, maybe like the more because Tuxedo Mask is pretty much always played by a woman. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, generally, that's like a big thing because like of like Takurazuka. Like that's pretty much always the case, I think, that in the musicals. Yeah. Yeah. He was played by a female actress. Yeah. So as far as the musicals are like especially difficult to get your hands on uh especially outside of japan but even in japan oh really by the way have you watched the uh sailor moon live action series no i haven't oh it's worth checking out i enjoyed it um but i don't know how you feel about like tokusatsu and stuff like that because it's very much like that cheesy cgi and so on but there's some very interesting things like they only had one season, so we never get to see the outer sense or anything. Yeah, I mean, I definitely saw clips of it. I never, it was something that, like, I watched a little bit of, and then I must have gotten distracted. But I do think it's, like, it's it's pretty cute. Like, it's very cutesy. I think you would like Sailor Mars in that iteration. She's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, she's like, my favorite out of the five, for sure. I never really had that much of a strong feeling about Sailor Mars originally. I was more, I gravitated towards Mercury, especially when I was younger. I think for me in the, in that particular iteration, I was most attached to Mars. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I also appreciate stars in particular out of all, I feel like they really drive home that Ray is the closest to Usagi for whatever reason in the season. Like, mm-hmm. I think in the manga, it's pretty clear that Venus is the fan favorite or like the, the author's favorite. Mm-hmm. But I think that's another reason why I really love stars because not only is Seiya there, not only is there like a Haruka element just sprinkled in, but Ray is also like, uh, has her time to shine and like, is the most closest to Usagi or like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and I like I mean there are a lot of really good uh, moments with a lot of the characters but there's in particular when it comes to especially like Seiya and Usagi there's a part where Reis is like has a side hustle like doing like <laughs> fortune telling for some reason and that was a great little bit yeah yeah and then like Seiya comes in and she's like oh my god and then like Usaki comes in and she's like okay I can't like, <laughs> pretend it's not me I have to tell her what's up and it's really really funny <laughs> yeah that was a great moment and I think it was just so first of all dumb that Usagi didn't recognize her like one of her best friends yeah. or like her voice or anything but then again it's anime yeah no other season had that 
internal struggle I think for Usagi where it's like this deep like I care for this person but I don't know what to do Mm -hmm. and again like unrequited doomed romance is I'm such a sucker for it and I just think it was done really well in season five um yeah and I was just checking because I know the dub was released for all of Sailor Moon like the newer dub that it has all the episodes and so on and uh, that was released last year and it looks like uh, if people want to watch the dub version I know we've been talking about the original Japanese version but uh, if people are more comfortable with dubs you can actually also watch the dub of Sailor Stars pretty easily uh, online as well so yeah and also I think in the newer dub they're not the one that like what's the new company that dubbed it I don't remember if it's Viz Media or someone else it's like so the new so just look up the newer dub because in the newer dub Haruka and Machu are not cousins (laughs) they changed it they fixed it so um I do appreciate that they took the effort to remake the dub and correct mm-hmm. the past mis- the past like regressive mistakes. Mm-hmm. So I do appreciate that a lot. Yeah, it's uh it's great for that reason for sure. I think yeah, I'm seeing it. You can watch it on Amazon Prime Video. It looks like, but you have to rent oh, nice. it or buy the episodes yeah. for streaming. It is on Hulu yeah. for fact. I don't know, but that's also paid. Um, yeah. but I'm not sure. I'm. <laughs> yeah, I know the newer dub is like kind of handling things more appropriately, I suppose. So I'm curious to listen to the English version. I I, I don't know. I how never saw I, it dub. Uh, so. Yeah, I don't know how I would be able to access it, but I could figure out something. Yeah, I am curious though. Maybe I'll I'll do a little digging after this and try to find it. Yeah, yeah. That only was released last year, I think. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, very very recent dub so I, th- I think that was very exciting for many people because of course while it's great to watch things in the original language when possible I know that it's not necessarily accessible for everyone to watch things with uh, subtitles that's a good point yeah I'm curious to see how they handle various scenes in English <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm, I'm really I'm very curious now that I'm thinking about it I wanted to talk about because uh, we had kind of chatted about it a little bit you know uh, earlier but as far as like distinct episodes and distinct scenes and queerness in Sailor Stars I think that we definitely need to talk about the dynamic with Seiya and Michiru and Haruka mm-hmm. there is an episode where uh, Michiru who is a violinist does a, a back-to-back concert with the three lights and we have a scene with Seiya and Michiru alone in the dressing room, which was very interesting. Very steamy. <laughs> yeah. I actually don't remember how old they would have been in this one. I know that the three lights are also, you know, they're high school students, right? So they're anywhere between 16 and 18. Uh, I think Haruka and Michiru are probably still, I think they might be finished with school school maybe but I'm not sure because we never see them in uniform or anything anymore so I'm trying to remember yeah I think they're it's implied that they're late teens early 20s if anything right Mm -hmm. like I don't know they're implied that they're older they're like grown now and you know obviously uh Setsuna Sailor Pluto is much older Mm -hmm. but uh yeah it's very so whatever like you know kind of teenagers young adults however you want to call it but Seiya and Michiru have this moment and, you know, Michiru is shown as being very flirtatious with other male characters, so it's very amusing. Uh, and Haruka is a very, very jealous girlfriend, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for sure. I think 
because Haruka and Seiya pretty much immediately start butting heads, and it's a very interesting dynamic as well. Yeah, I really love their quarrels together. I think <laughs> it's so entertaining, and that scene is so there's so like the gay is dripping like I am I cannot even even thinking about it I get like I remember what it felt like as a kid I was like what like this is what's happening and there's always that like idea like what if Haruka entered like a moment later like what's Michiru doing yeah it was very very steamy I was like oh my very steamy I love I love Haruka and Seiya butting heads I think it totally makes sense but also just Haruka and Michiru, I really love them together and I don't want to spoil anything, but like the final battle has some like great moments with them and mm-hmm. like moments that like still fucked me up with this rewatch. <laughs> so yeah. Like, so yeah, I I really liked that they added that like Seiya versus Haruka element to the story because I think it totally makes sense just based off of Haruka's, like, protective nature of Usagi, but also directly with Michiru now, you know what I mean? It's like, like, here comes this, like, whatever, like, in the translation, Michiru says that Haruka doesn't like popular guys, so I don't know how it translated in, but essentially, Mm -hmm. Michiru says multiple times that Haruka either doesn't like men or popular guys. Very interesting. Yeah, I don't remember what line that would have been, so I don't remember that line. It wasn't in the dressing room scene. It was when Seiya was like a, the bodyguard and they were all happened to be in the living room or something. And they kept like, oh arguing. My goodness, yeah. and they mentioned something about, and Mitru says like, Haruka doesn't like popular men or something like that in the translation. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really loved that scene. It's very, the dressing room scene. It's very steamy. It's very interesting because I, I know that there are, of course, queer elements in earlier seasons of Sailor Moon, but like this felt like the queerest season, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, you know, everything is culminating together in this way. It's It was 100% the queerest season. And again, probably why it's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, totally understandable. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about Sailor Stars before we finish? Um... I feel like I've gushed everything I've wanted to gush about it. It is just, it's a, it has an everlasting effect on me. Like, again, like, I literally have a Sailor Stars tattoo that takes up most of my left forearm. So it's like, I'm glad that I rewatched it as an adult now. Um, It had been a while since I rewatched it all the way through. Mm Mm-hmm. I still loved it just as much. I'm still listening to the songs just for fun. You know what I mean? There's, I think, knowing or being more comfortable with my queerness now and watching it and remembering what I felt as a kid, I think there's something really special about this show for me in general, not just stars, but again, stars being my favorite for a lot of reasons I've already mentioned, but also because of the queer element and namely because of the Sailor Starfighter character. I think it's a really unique series and there are so many reasons why it's unique as a whole but also within the sailor moon timeline it's so interesting yeah. to me so i would really recommend anyone watch it that's a fan of anime sailor moon i think yeah i love it so much i love yeah. Sia so much i love haruka so much i love sailor starfighter <laughs> i think i just they are imprinted onto my soul forever Mm. they're all very very strong characters so I can see why you are attached to them because I love them all too 
Yeah, especially considering that this season is the shortest as well. Yeah, the fact that they have that effect despite of that, that's saying something, right? Like, and that goes back to like how I feel about the voice actors. Like, there's there's reasons why, despite of other shortcomings, whether it's the length of the series or Sailor Moon's awful outfit, um, there's a reason <laughs> why this one is still really good. And it's the humor, it's the voice acting, and good tragic doomed romance always underquieted love really gets me good so mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure yeah <laughs> uh, I guess that means we can get to the final question so uh, Shireen if you could be a magical person what do you imagine you would look like my first thought was that I would never wear heels I feel like so Fantastic. many magical people are in heels not for me. I would be in a comfortable boot or a tennis shoe. Mm-hmm. I would like to think I would look like a badass um, with like a utility belt of some kind. An outfit that is easy to kick things in, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, so probably not a skirt. Um, I imagine myself kind of gender ambiguous and like maybe like with like short, edgy hair and I'm imagining like a mesh that is sleek, but is actually like a thin chain mail. You know what I mean? Oh, that's very cool. But I think my main thing would be my dream. Like I've always really loved gender ambiguity. And I think that's maybe my main qualm with some magical girl animes is that they're, in my opinion, too feminine for me, like too overtly feminine. Like, I don't mm-hmm. relate to being that way, so it's hard for me to, like, maybe I'm just not comfortable with, like, my womanhood or something, but I think I would like to be a magical girl that was a little bit less feminine and a little bit more kind of just, like, a badass, non-binary weirdo. I just want to be, like, <laughs> um, yeah, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, that's fair. I'm thinking, like, I mean, yeah, the femininity of magical girls is an interesting discussion itself because on the one hand, it's great to see like this kind of feminine image being so powerful. But on the other hand, yeah, it can definitely be very isolating for people who maybe don't identify so strongly with that particular aspect of it. Yeah. I think the pros outweigh the cons for sure. But if I was a magical girl, I know... I would be very mm-hmm. uncomfortable in any of those outfits. Like, not even just, like, physically, but, like, as a woman. Like, I, or, like, as a, someone that presents as a woman most of the time. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would like mm-hmm. to to be the pioneer of a more gender-ambiguous magical girl. <laughs> and maybe that, I mean, like, and I think Haruka kind of does that with her, like, short hair and her voice and stuff. And even her outfits when she's not Sailor Uranus. When she's still a Uranus, she's still in a skirt. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's still not very practical. But yeah, I think, um, or even like the Sailor Starlights, like, they're wearing shorts. That's more practical in my opinion, but they're still in heels. They're still kind of like wearing skimpy outfits, which is great. Like, I think they're very sexy, but <laughs> not very practical. I would maybe wear shorts or something. Again, I think my main uh, intention would just be something that I can kick things in and that is not a skirt so it's probably shorts or like some type of pant but I don't really like pants 
Hmm, that's fair. I would recommend watching Pretty Care because there are a few different iterations of uh, the characters that wear shorts. Ooh, especially nice. early on. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I like will. even the I first will. season. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's the reason why I haven't seen as much magical girl anime as maybe I should. I was really uncomfortable with my womanness and femininity as a child and like as a, a teenager and even as an adult. I'm like still trying to accept that so many magical girl animes really embrace that and while it's so empowering for some people I kind of felt less like a woman because I was just like why can't I feel good like this as well you know what I mean like that's that was my I I just I turned it against myself rather than made myself feel good (laughs) Mm -hmm. there's a lot of reasons why I did that like depression yada yada that's a different conversation but when it comes to me as a magical girl, I know that I would be more boyish and more tomboyish mm-hmm. and more... Yeah, that's fair. Do you have any ideas for like what kind of uh, theme you would have? Like, for example, like you said, you're very interested in mythology and mm. so on, or in astrology. So that could be something. Yeah, or, yeah I mean, sure. I'm obsessed with fire. Like, I'm, I love burning things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think that's another reason why I I love like Sailor Mars and like Aries and stuff like that. Like I really love mm-hmm. mythology behind the planet Mars, but I also love the mythology around I don't know so many different planets and stars. But yeah, I don't know. I don't. I never. I, I didn't really get that far into the themes. I guess if I had to choose an element, it would be fire, though. I also have a, like a fascination with like I don't know, this, this isn't really a theme, but like just like space in general and like the idea that there are different dimensions in space or there are different like like it's I guess it's pretty sci-fi to think about that kind of stuff but like maybe I'd be like a black hole I don't know I'm just thinking out loud I I haven't haven't thought about this yeah no that's great it's great it's good to brainstorm I don't know I think it's fun to I love space and I I think Mm -hmm. if I did have an element like a magical girl theme it would be something related to space and the stars or the moon so so yeah maybe i'd be like an asteroid i don't know i don't know (laughs) maybe i'd be a new planet no one's discovered yet like in the middle of nowhere (laughs) kind of tragic though that like after sailor moon was a thing pluto like has ceased to be a planet as far as technicalities are concerned but Mm -hmm. i still think planet. anyway that's another story but um (laughs) Do you have your magical girl person kind of uh, already like in your head? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, no, no one's ever asked me the question back. Uh, I have many concepts for what I would be as a magical girl, and it's kind of changed over the years. I actually like kind of plotted out entire story ideas, especially when I was in uh, high school. I would say I kind of gave assignments to like my friends about which members of the team they would be and so on that's exciting what was the theme i'm curious well i had two different ones um one i had with uh four other friends was uh kind of based on angels i don't know particularly why i've always been very very fascinated with angels maybe because i grew up in a non-christian household but like Mm surrounded by christian mythology growing up i don't i'm not sure i love angels and so i had this idea i guess it's kind of similar to sailor moon in that it like i created this whole backstory of like a a previous life 
and like all these different angels and their stories and so on and so like mine was I guess like a priestess not not, not priestess not the right word but like kind of like a, not a holy figure but like a, a symbol of love and so on but I had like a particular duty and by falling in love I kind of broke everything I don't know very dramatic I probably was like 16 or 17 when I created I like the characters. It. oh my god sorry this is totally off you just reminded me that me and my sister wrote fan fiction about sailor stars oh that's we were, great we were called the starlight sisters or something oh, I like love our it. Pen name our pen name god it's crazy it's so interesting what the, the influence of the anime has on us mm-hmm. oh wow Okay, wait, I have ideas for my theme, but I want to hear the rest of yours first. Oh, okay. Well, I kind of assigned different elements to my friends. So one of my friends was water, another one was earth, another one was like the moon, and the other one was the sun. Mm. Actually, one of those friends is probably going to be a guest on the podcast in the future, so I'll probably get into more detail uh, at that time, so we can talk about it a little later off the podcast, but... But yeah, it's like different angels and they're all knights. And I guess because I was creating it, I was the main character. <laughs> but I generally always love the theme of love as like a like a visual theme. Uh, I mean, it wasn't always the case, but I guess in the past like 10 or so years, pink has become my favorite color. Mm. I wear it every day. It's like pink and hearts and so on is like a big thing that I like. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, for the podcast itself, I did create like a magical podcaster thing, which is seen on the, I guess, the art for the show. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's like, you know, I have headphones, but I also hold a different microphone that I can pass to people for them to talk. That microphone is inspired by the microphones used in uh, Mermaid Melody, which is a, an Idol Magical Girl series. Nice. I like that. And then I also have another one that I did with my best friend Bianca, where we were, this was definitely when we were in college, because this was when we were always visiting each other, because at the time she lived in Connecticut and I lived in New York City, so we were kind of far. So when we would see each other, it would always be to like take the train up and stay at one of the other's house for a weekend or something. But we created this idea of a combination and we were called yeah, Lavender Brunette and Strawberry Brunette were our names. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. While you were talking, I realized I maybe there are iterations of me. So maybe there's a fire mm-hmm. version. And then there's okay. in Arabic mythology or like Muslim mythology, there are these figures called jinns mm-hmm. that are like interdimensional beings. And I think that's where my fascination with other dimensions really stems from. But mm-hmm. no one really knows what they look like and they're very ambiguously described in the Quran but I think there's maybe an element of jinn like maybe I am a jinn in my magical girl form like maybe that's what it is that would be so I would I really am into this idea um yeah so I transform into a jinn and that's like and then Mm -hmm. I'm like in like it's a different dimensional form um so there's that one idea and I'm also really fascinated and I love nature so maybe there's an element of nature around something I do, even though I love burning things, mm-hmm. which kind of seems contradictory to like nature, but I promise you it's not. It's very much what I'm <laughs> But I think I'm leaning towards the gin. The gin idea, I think, is it's money. That's that that's a money. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's I haven't seen that before for sure. Uh, 
Yeah, that was that's actually very interesting because you know the one of the major influences of Magical Girls is uh, "I Dream of Jeannie." Oh, interesting. Uh, so yeah, "I Dream of Jeannie" is like basically. Uh, for more details, go to the podcast uh, episode about the history of Magical Girls. But uh, <laughs> uh, after World War II, a whole bunch of American media came to Japan all at once, and that included. Well, some of them were like of that time, but that included I Dream of Jeannie, Mary Poppins, Bewitched, and I Married a Witch, which is a, a 1942 film. There were these images, and I Dream of Jeannie uh, was called a witch series in Japanese also. Like, of course, it's not necessarily great because it's it's hardly good gin representation, right. but that's like a thing that super influenced uh, things. So That's really interesting. I mean, I will say that gin are a different thing than genie they're not the same thing yeah but it is interesting that I, I didn't realize they were influenced by genie at all but the gin form like the gin creatures so without getting too into uh muslim uh, lore um in the quran it says that god created three uh species essentially humans angels mm-hmm. and jinn so Oh, so yeah. jinn are like this third form that they're, they exist in our realm. They can see mm-hmm. us, we can't see them. They have an entire civilization, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I've always been really fascinated by them. Like, they're so... Sure. I, I mean, growing up, I was terrified of them because I was like, oh, they can see me at all times. Like, I'm not safe kind of thing. And also, they're kind of really <laughs> described in a way that isn't creepy Mm -hmm. but yeah I think I'm really fascinated with the idea of uh gin in combination with magical girl stuff or like some type of generation of myself where I can connect to either that dimension or I become this other form because yeah I I mean like even in the stuff I'm writing now as a filmmaker and like I'm writing like a feature and also a pilot there are gin elements in a lot of the things I do because I'm so fascinated with that folklore and they're so, I mean, I would really recommend if this sounds interesting to anybody to look up the history of Jin. And like, it's either J-I-N-N or D-J-I-N-N, the silent mm-hmm. D. But I'm really also interested in this like genie interpretation of magical girl stuff. I didn't really realize it was, it's, it had so much influence, but yeah, I can, I can see the similarities even with I guess until this moment, I didn't realize genies are interdimensional beings, but they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is really interesting. Anyways, so yeah, I think my magical girl person would have to do with Jin and the darkness yeah. that comes with there. Because I genuinely, I love that your main theme is love, because I didn't even consider that when I was talking about, I was considering this like lone wolf, like fucking like isolated tragic figure which mm-hmm. just maybe illustrates how my brain works no that's totally valid too yeah. i mean there are a lot of solo magical girls out there so it's like that's a thing it's cool maybe the story is that she uh pr- is proven wrong and she doesn't need to be alone kind of thing you know what i mean i don't know mm-hmm. sure yeah there are you know so many ways to go but i really love that idea and i think it's so important to like you know, see other perspectives of different genres. And one thing that I really love about Magical Girls, like, you know, it's very clear from the past 20 years as other places have 
created their own series. But basically, all I know of are series from, you know, China, Korea, and like Italy, and now France has a few. So it's like, we need to see more around, for sure. So I would love to a Syrian magical girl I series. Would I, love, I was awesome. oh my god I can't even begin to tell you how much that would have meant to me as a kid like I a Syrian magical girl show like ah that, that would be everything oh, I want to make that so bad maybe I will <laughs> yeah. maybe I will stay the fuck tuned um yeah <laughs> but that sounds like a dream that sounds like I mean again like I I think I want to make things that my child self would really um need and I think growing up I'm trying to be the person that my child self needed so um maybe it's in the cards you never know stay tuned yeah because like I mean for me like watching Sailor Moon was this thing of like getting the Japanese representation that I couldn't find anywhere else in the U.S. yeah for me I feel that it's so important you know and so I can't imagine because like there obviously are so many that are Japanese so I don't have to look but there aren't that many that are half Japanese to be sure that's pretty mm-hmm. rare but uh, and even then the representation is kind of hazy or whatever but uh, <laughs> the idea of like you know like trying to see from other series because like you said I mean magical girls are really internationally popular so we need to see more I think and I hope that we can in the future and Luckily, we are able to get like more webcomics and things like that. Like, for example, when you were first describing your uh, magical girl like identity and your discomfort with like the the whole like feminine frills and heels and so on, I actually thought about the webtoon Hover Girls. I think you would really Ooh. like that. It's a little short, but it's really good. Yeah, I'll look that up. But uh, yeah, so I think uh, we've been talking for quite some time. So I think we can. Uh, put things too close so thank you so much Irene for talking to me today especially for so long it's been super super fun and I'm really really thankful that you agreed to come to the podcast I'm so honored and humbled that you asked me to be on the podcast I feel like I've been waiting my entire life to talk to someone at length about how much I love Sailor Moon Stars (laughs) I don't think I've ever talked to any of my current friends about how much I love Sailor Moon Stars um, I'm lucky that I have two sisters that also understand my obsession. But other than my mm-hmm. bloodline, yeah, this is this has been really fun, and I'm just really um, honored that you asked me to be on the show. And it was I just have a lot of catching up to do with my magical girl uh, watching. So I really appreciate, and I also learned a lot on the show. There are so many moments where I didn't like I I don't know I appreciate your time and allowing me into your world. So thank you thanks again yeah (laughs) um yeah you could ask me anytime i always love to give recommendations to people i will i will Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sparkleside Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you like it. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show if you think they'd be interested. If you use social media, don't forget to use the hashtag SparklesideChats. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at MagicalGirlAyu, spelled A-Y-U, and you can find me at Ayushinos, A-Y-U, S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S
Show notes can be found on your platform of choice or at anchor.fm slash sparkleside. Anchor is also where you can leave a short message if you want to talk about your favorite magical girl or ask a question related to the podcast. If you can support the podcast financially, you can buy me a coffee at co-fi.com slash ayushinos. Original podcast music is by Hazel. You can find her on Twitter at TwinkleParks. Thanks again for listening, and remember, you are magical. Magical.